BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. I sleep better at night knowing my family is protected if something ever happens to me since I was able to compare plans very easily at policygenius.com. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quote and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds. And Joe Manchin says he may run for president in 2024, even though it shows he will hand the election to Trump. We have such a fun show for you today. We'll talk to Democratic primary candidate for governor of Montana, Ryan Bussey, about how Democrats can win in red states. Then, live from this weekend's Texas Tribune Festival in Austin, Texas, we will talk to the Washington Post's Jason Rezian on imprisoned journalists. And he knows because he was imprisoned in an Iranian prison for 544 days. But first, we have Arizona Congressman Ruben Gallego on his Senate run. Hello, Ruben Gallego. Hello, Molly. <laughs> I haven't seen you in such a long time. Actually, I haven't seen you in a long time. Yeah, I don't think we've ever been, uh, as the kids say, we haven't been in IRL no, in a while, right? We haven't, okay. but we saw each other at like a congressional dinner Summer, or something. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 something fancy. Welcome to Fast Politics. Thank Welcome you. back. Thank you, thank Frequent you. flyer. So you're running for the Senate in Arizona. Yep. Discuss. Well, it's going great. We kicked off about nine months ago and already we've, you know, gone through the state up and down a couple of times to, you know, the red states, red parts of the state, the bluest parts of the state. The states have been ignored. Uh, some of the hardest places to get to, like the Navajo Nation. Right. Really, it's just been great meeting people and meeting people that remind me of, of me like, right. and what I what I, you know, wanted in, in elected officials when I was struggling to, you know, figure out how to pay for school or trying to figure out how to help my family. And what we're hearing is a lot of people out there are excited about this campaign because they finally feel that there's a 
someone running that understands what they're going through right now. One of the things I want to talk to you about was you were an infantry man. Yeah. Like the, I have a kid, Darwin, who's a Republican. Uh-huh. Hopefully that he'll that he'll grow out of maybe not. Yeah. But he's like obsessed with being an officer. Uh-huh. Explain to us, you went into the army, sort of the American dream. Sure, Marines first of all. Right, Marines. Sorry, <laughs> Marines. Very uh, tough. Marines, but... Marines take that uh, yeah. very special. I joined the Marines because I wanted to give service back to my country. Yeah. This is before 9-11. You know, I'm the son of immigrants. I was able to, you know, really live the American dream, go to college on scholarships, everything else. I felt, especially as, you know, the son of an immigrant, that I owed something to the country, right? And as a young man at that point, the, what I knew I could do was service, right? And and I didn't, I never looked for war, never wanted war. I figured, you know what, I could, the, what I can do is I could be a reservist, a Marine Corps reservist, and if something comes up, then the country needs to, of course, then, then I'll go to war, whatever they want me to do. So that's what I did. I just went, signed up. I wanted to be in the infantry because if you're going to join the Marines, might as well be in the infantry. If not, then, you know, go the Air Force or something else. And I like the challenge. You know, it's tough, you know, for, for those that are Marine Corps infantrymen, they'll, they'll tell you the training and stuff. And even when you're in, it's still tough. But the most important thing for me was I, it was, I was, you know, returning service to my country. Now, unfortunately, I got sent to Iraq, which is a war that I disagreed with. You know, and even there was even worse in terms of what happened with my, my men and, and yeah. me. And you lost a lot of your battalion. I lost my best friends. We lost a lot of, in my, my company, we lost about 24 Marines. One third of everyone was either killed or wounded in that, my company. Uh, it's a company based out of uh, Lima Company 325 Ohio. But, you know, if people ask me, like, would you do it again? Like, absolutely, would do it again. Not because I like war, not because I, I enjoyed that, but also so I could not imagine not being with my men. I could not right. imagine not being there to do the things I did to make sure they stayed alive or the opposite, like they kept me alive. And, I, you know, as much as I still carry the wounds of war, I still have PTSD. I'll have that for the rest of my life. I don't regret my my service to the country. And you raised your siblings, too. I mean, I got to get credit my mom. I helped raise yeah, your siblings. Yeah. She's like, yeah. but, you know, mom. But you had a single mom, which I had. A single I mom, had and too. she had a job. God bless her. She had a job and she had to work. And, you know, when you have four kids, the only way you make it through that when you're poor is when you all pull together. And so once my father kind of stepped out of the picture, I had to come to the realization that I had to, as we say, you know, to step up to be the man of the house yeah. and, being, and being a Latino family. So that's what I did. I had to be like a, a father figure and a brother and a big brother. And so I had to do a lot of the stuff that I, when you're at the age of 14, that most men, boys, they take on a little <laughs> more responsibility than I think most right. um, boys are used to. And in some regard, it probably was helpful for me because I had to skip right. stupid teenage shit because I had to make sure that I, I couldn't mess up. I couldn't get arrested. I couldn't yeah. like go out and party. Yeah. I, I had to take care of my Siblings. sisters. Yeah. yeah. I had to go to work. I had to get good grades. Like all these things that just I could not, I, could, I did not have the luxury of doing. And, you know, that really kind of, I'd say, molded me for a while. And, but more importantly, it made my family's life easier. Right. And right. that's, you know, that was the whole but I guess my whole mentality as a young man then was like, I just didn't want to be a, a burden to the family because right. there was just a lot going on right now. So one of the things that Democrats are struggling right now, and I was actually talking to Ron Brownstein about this, and I was talking to this pollster Ben Tulchin about yeah, this, no, ben, yeah. is that Democrats are having trouble winning Latino voters. And that is a really important yeah. block. Here you are, very successful Latino congressional candidate, finger on the pulse, tell us what we're doing, what they are doing, what we are doing wrong. 
Well, I, I tell you this, like Democrats look at the Latina vote and they think about them in the last two months of an election. Right. Instead of thinking about them throughout the whole year. And and what does that mean? Like, yeah, you should start running campaign commercials earlier, but also you should be going on the Univision Telemundos and the radio stations, the AM radio stations, and you should be talking to them ahead of time about what you're doing, why you're doing it. When we talk about Democrats representing the working class, Latinos are working class. Right. The wealth of a Latino is decided by how many hours they work. That's something that we forget, right? And a lot of the politicians that go and talk to to, to Latinos are very well-spirited. They want to be helpful, but they don't truly understand, right? They don't understand how excited you get when you get overtime, right? right. For some people, especially like a lot of uh, constituents of the Democrats, you know, they're salary workers. They don't get overtime. They're all salary, right? right. Like Latinos sometimes survive or not survive, whether they get enough uh, overtime or right, they financially right. survive. And so when we're talking to them and actually when we're drawing and, and creating policies, we need to remember that, right? Yeah. So why does a minimum wage increase matter? Well, the difference between $15 an hour and $19 an hour is huge, yeah. right? Whether you're going to be poverty or, or right. successful. If you're going to be able to have affordable health care, huge. Child tax credit. Right. I was about to ask you about the child tax. Are you hearing from people on the ground? You're going through Arizona. Are yeah. you hearing people missing that child tax credit? Absolutely they are. And the fact that we don't talk about it, we don't, you know, like I talk about it ad nauseum on my campaign. Right. Because like, number one, if you want to be Latino, it's always great to be pro-family. There's nothing more pro-family than a child tax credit. Child ta and financial stability, right? There's nothing more stressful to a family. It's Unfortunately, someone that grew up in a household with financial stress, there's nothing that, that you know, can really tear apart a family more than trying to figure out where the next shoe's going to drop. Right. And that's what a lot of people are feeling. A lot of Latinos are feeling right now. They just don't know what's going to happen next. Like, is my car going to bust? And if that car busts, can I... Pay, you know, am I going to be able to get to work? Am I going to be able to pay rent? I mean, it's all these things. That's right. That's being poor. That's being poor. And they're living that. They're living that experience. Yeah. And the problem is that it's not that they haven't lived that experience, but right now they don't actually see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so that's even more distressing. Like, like when, yeah. as bad as things were when I was growing up, you know, like I, my first bad and I think seven or eight years was my college bad, my dorm room bad. And I remember always thinking like, you know what? Just suck it up. Put right. your head down, keep going. This will all get better, right? I can't imagine, well, I can't imagine what these families are feeling right now. Like, wait, I got to keep working and working and working and nothing changes, right? right? That is, that is, I think, you know, that, that, that is so psychologically damaging and it has an effect. And there's a reason why there's a lot of working class people that are giving up on Democrats, but also just giving up in general. And Latinos aren't, aren't exempt from that. Do you think that the child tax credit, like cinema was one of the people who was instrumental in having that fail and, you know, whittling down the in yeah. Inflation Reduction Act. If you were elected senator from Arizona, you would be a progressive vote. I would absolutely be pushing the child tax credit right away. I can't lay the the ending of child tax credit entirely on cinema. Right, no. But what I can lay in the fact is like when there was a time to fight, she chose to fight for hedge fund managers right. and private equity managers to get their tax loophole. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to fight to bring the child tax credit. That's where her priorities are so messed up. That instead of fighting for those that need it, the people that desperately need just a little help and just want to succeed, she went to help those that are already doing very, very well. Yeah. That's And that's the, the difference between me and her. Like the people that need the child trade are not going to be my afterthought. They're going to be my only thought. Why do you think she was a progressive originally? I, look, I, 
it's not my place to, to psychoanalyze her. We'll do that later on yeah. in the show. What we know is when we're out there talking to voters, they are done with her. They want someone that's going to fight for them. They want someone that they feel is answerable, that talks to them, someone that's understanding what they're going through. And that's that's all we have to do. And at the end of the day, we continue where we are in this campaign, continue having those conversations. We're going to win. And, it, and, you know, it doesn't matter who's running. That's so important and good. What does your campaign look like now? What's next for you? You know, we're continuing to go where we are. We've built out a great team. Uh, we have more than 120,000 individual donors. Average donation is 30 bucks. If you want to give money, Gallego for Arizona.com, please. But we're going to continue, you know, going out and meeting voters. A couple of weeks ago, I drove six hours to the Navajo Nation Fair, you know, picked up my son after uh, <laughs> after school. I'm eventually going to work a policy on school pickup, school drop off, because that's mayhem, yeah, as you know. I'm aware. Yeah. Uh, so it was uh, it's actually a five hour drive. But it was 45 minutes to get out of the school zone. Right. But we drove up there, got to uh, Gallup, New Mexico, checked into La Quinta Inn at 11 p.m. and woke up 5 a.m. and drove an hour, another hour and a half to the Navajo Nation Fair. And we proceeded to shake, you know, thousands of hands and introduce ourselves to that community because they, you know, they, they vote yeah. and they deserve they representation. And they vote yeah. Democrat. And we were the only Senate campaign that was there. And so that's the kind of attitude we're going to have. We're going to be moving around the whole state. You know, red, red parts, been in red parts, have town halls in red parts. We've had our town halls in blue parts. We've gone to the rural areas, we've gone to the native areas, and we're just going to keep going. Ruben Gallego, thank you. Gracias. I sleep better at night knowing my family is protected if something ever happens to me since I was able to compare plans very easily at policygenius.com. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quote and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Hey guys, it's Steve Cavino from Cavino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. And with the new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, 
And of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Ryan Bussey is the author of Gunfight and a Democratic candidate for governor of Montana. Welcome back to Fast Politics, Ryan. Hey, it's so good to be with you, Molly. So you are running for governor of the great state of Montana as a Democrat, because you've been on this podcast before, you've written a book. You are a friend of the pods. Jesse is obsessed with you. In a good way. <laughs> In a good way. In a good and totally healthy way. Tell us your backstory and how you have gotten to this decision. Thanks, Molly. I grew up on a ranch, very rural ranch, long ways from any pavement. A lot of the best times in my life were spent with guns uh, in a healthy way. I think a lot of Democrats across the country struggle to understand the cultural connection to guns for so many people across the country. Well, I was one of those kids. Uh, I grew up hunting and shooting with my dad and my grandfather. I eventually got in the firearms industry. It was kind of like a dream job for me. And then I figured out that I was inside the industry that was helping radicalize the country. So the good parts for me of firearms ownership were being used and twisted into what I think became Trumpism. I wrote a book about that. I was in the firearms industry for 25 years, but I wrote a book about that. That's why you and I have chatted before. And I'm highly critical of obviously radicalized Republican politics. And I've been a Democrat for a long time. And I think we have to stand up and save the democracy. So here we are. So let's talk about what your what Montana looks like right now. You have a Democratic senator running for reelection. You're a very small state, but a very red state. Yeah, I don't think it's as red as people think it is. Obviously, we have Senator John Tester. A lot of people know him, three-finger dirt farmer, right? He's a good guy and a good friend. But we have a very libertarian kind of populist purple history in our state until just a few years ago. Both of our senators were Democrats. We had 16 years of Democratic gubernatorial rule. So I just don't think it's as red as it looks like. And I think, frankly, I think Democrats have kind of lost the ability to communicate with working folks. And I grew up as one of those folks, I, you know, I grew up on a ranch and in sale barns and driving tractors. It's time we figure out how to win again. And, th- and that's what I'm going to do. So let's talk about uh, blue governors winning in red states, because from Kentucky's Andy Bouchard to 
Kansas to yep, Laura Kelly. Right, yeah. Laura Kelly to Pennsylvania, not as red. But I wonder if this phenomenon is tied. We see red governors experimenting with their states and their pretty repressive rules. If you look at Florida and Texas, I mean, do you think that helps Democrats? They are experimenting, right? I mean, and it's borderline fascist, if not over the line fascist. This governor believes that humans and dinosaurs coexisted and that humans basically farmed dinosaurs. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Humans farmed dinosaurs? Yes, he's funded uh, one of his pet projects, so to speak, is he funded a creation museum that shows humans coexisting with T-Rexes out in the back 40. You know, I'm, and I'm not making this up. He has funded quite aggressively gay conversion therapy. I mean, you know, want, want to take every gay kid in the country and convert them into something that they're not. I mean, it's detestable. I don't know how to check off all the really horrific. Look, they want to completely upend abortion and a woman's right to choose here, a woman's right to choose her own health care. We have a right to privacy written into our constitution, which is a beautiful thing. But they literally want to call a constitutional convention to rip that out of our constitution. And so you're right. Republican weirdos and radicals across the country are trying to do things on a statewide basis. They're reprehensible. And if we run the right candidates and run to win, and if Democrats stand up and really espouse our values instead of being ashamed of them, which I think sometimes often happens, we can win these people back. I can tell you, you know, reasonable Republicans are very worried about how far off the rails this thing is going. So how do you run in a state like Montana? You are on the ground talking to people. What are they saying? If you haven't watched it, you should. It's on Twitter. My launch video has been viewed over a million times, which is amazing. But we run just like the people we are, right? I'm not some button-down coastal Democrat. I'm not some attorney. I grew up on a ranch. I love to hunt and shoot with my boys. The video shows us uh, shooting targets with despicable policies on them. We are who we are. We lean into freedom. I don't understand how Republicans have embraced both the word freedom and then all of these politicians who want to rip their freedoms from them. It's craziness. And so I think Democrats have to stand up and give the stark contrast, force the choice, because the choice, I mean, it is. We're staring down the barrel of fascism here. And that's how I think we run. And, and I'm, I guess I most often am going to run as a Democrat who cares about winning because winning this election against these sorts of Republicans, it's a dire situation. Yeah. When you talk to people, though, like what are they the most concerned about? Well, we've interestingly enough here, and, and here's a path to victory. I know some of your listeners might think, oh, yeah, how are we going to win this? But these Republicans are so arrogant that the first thing they did with a $2.8 billion surplus in this state is gave it away to big corporations and tax breaks for the wealthy. And then they were foolish enough to institute a, a huge tax increase on every single Montana homeowner, right? When have you heard this? Republicans, what have they always said? We won't raise taxes. We won't raise... Well, they did. They raised taxes on every single homeowner and Montanans are pissed off about it. Lots of Republicans are pissed off about it. And that has opened the door to them saying, wait a second, we're just being lied to. Yes, yes, you are. There really is a huge path to victory here. It's important, though, this guy is a self-funder. He flies around in his own private jets, 2000 bucks an hour. You can't rent a single bedroom apartment in Bozeman for 2000 bucks a month, but he flies around in a $2,000 an hour private jet. He's totally detached from the people. He's going to fund his own campaign. We're going to have to do it little pieces at a time. 
but we're going to do it. What are the the most important things that you feel like people in Montana want from their governor? I mean, what are the things like, do they want rural hospitals? I mean, what are the sort of needs in Montana? Molly, what's happened here, and, and it's it, it just happened here on steroids, and this is, you know, Montana is an important state. I know you said we're small. We're a big geographic state, but we're 1.1 million people. I know that sounds small. Not as small as Wyoming, right? <laughs> That's right. But we play a big outsized role in national politics, right? There's there's famous TV shows, as you know, John Dutton running for governor there on Yellowstone. There's Montana's really important to people. And what's happened here is just good governance, good basic governance from our state government, which is what's supposed to happen. Fiscal responsibility, staying out of people's lives, not ripping apart our right to privacy or our right to a clean and healthful environment that's in our constitution, keeping weirdos out of women's doctor's offices, trying to tell them what they can do with their bodies. It's really about that. It's also about uh, keeping equal, equal opportunity in public schools. These people want to trash our public schools and they want to create this kind of Betsy DeVos for-profit education network. And that's going to leave tons and tons of kids out in the open you know, without good schooling. So they're defunding that. They're letting rural health care fall apart. We are a rural state. Yeah, we have, I mean, we, we call it three or four cities, but they're not cities in the way you guys think are cities. Our rural health care across the eastern two-thirds of our state is falling apart. Why? Because Gianforte doesn't care about that. He flies over that in, in his jet, you know. Do you think that, like, there is a sort of libertarian play for Democrats, right? Because, like, this new Republican Party is very involved in, like, if you look at these Republican governors, you look at DeSantis, DeSantis or Abbott in Texas has a bounty hunter thing he's trying to do when it comes to abortion. So do you think there's a play to pick up those libertarians? Yeah. You know, libertarians in the state of Montana, we are in a lot of ways a libertarian minded state. We're a live and let live state. We always have been. I know it seems to people like it's the wild, wild west out here. We respect our neighbors. This bunch wants to make us hate our neighbors because apparently who they love or who they want to be. How is that freedom or liberty? They want to be in, you know, people's bedrooms, which kind of freaks me out a little bit when you look at Greg Gianforte's kind of forced weird smile. I think about him being in bedrooms. It's a bit strange to me. They want to take away the, the liberty of women to make their own health care choices. They want to take away the liberty that, that comes from a good public school education, you know, the liberty to, to make your own way. Yeah, there's a libertarian play. You know, these radical Republicans that have leaned on this word liberty or freedom and then do exactly the opposite, just like you said, DeSantis or our Texas friends or here in Montana, there's nothing libertarian about it. So yeah, there is a libertarian play. So let's talk about what your primary looks like. My primary looks pretty good right now because I'm running a general campaign. I'm running against Gianforte from day one. Yeah. One of the great friends of this podcast is my friend Amanda from Run For Something. And she talks about how important it is that Democrats run in red states and that even if they don't win, which... Again, there's no evidence to support the idea that you won't win, right? Because you do have a Democratic senator on the ticket, which also helps. And also you have Gianforte, who has a history. I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about his history? Well, I don't know how many governors. Well, actually, I do know how many governors have body slammed a reporter for asking him about health care. It's one. It's this one. Ben Jacobs just says, hey, can you tell me about health care? And Gianforte flips out. 
and, and literally starts beating the hell out of him while there's Fox News reporters in the room and then lies about it. And then, the believe me, if, if the Fox News reporters are, are uh, saying you're wrong, the Fox News reporters then said, uh, no, he's lying about it. He really did body slam the guy. That kind of tells you the sort of unbelievable arrogance of this guy. And again, he's like I told you, he's funded gay conversion therapy. I'm surprised at how stupid he is. Well, they've misplaced this idea where we all know we had something kind of weird happen in our politics in 2020, right? There was a wave that washed over some parts of the country. We were one of them. COVID was involved. Trump was involved. All this stuff was involved. That doesn't mean it's permanent here. In fact, it's not. I have Republicans all the time reaching out to me and saying, I can't take this guy anymore. I got to figure out a way out. My neighbor, he's probably got the world record for Trump flags. He's had one up since June of 2015. He came over to me the other day and said, hey, man, I just want to tell you, I'm so proud of you running. This is happening to me all the time. Interesting. I think it's really important that Democrats be genuine and authentic and that we message to people where they are. And let's be square, like a lot of Democrats across the country haven't been very good at messaging our values. And we share so many values with so many Republicans that are frustrated, right? It's very difficult to live in Montana right now because it's so expensive. Right. The average house is $460,000. Our starter teacher pay is $34,000. We're 50th. We've got 1,000 teacher vacancies across the state. We're not educating our kids. Those are Republican kids too. So we can make a call to those Republican voters and we will, and we, and we can win this thing. I mean, I'm going to need help to do it, but we can win it. So people listening to you right now, what would it mean to have a Democratic governor in Montana? It's huge, right? First off, we would, we would put a stop to so many of these crazy policies that are coming out of our Republican majority legislature. Up until Gianforte was elected, sadly, we had a Democratic stop gap in Governor Steve Bullock and before him, Governor Brian Schweitzer, who vetoed that stuff. If we don't have a Democratic governor, you're going to see you're going to people who are listening to this are going to click on the news or listen to you. And you're going to ha- hear some of the most fascist, repressive, ugly, book banning, anti-gay, like you name it. It's coming. They're going to go after our right to privacy in our Constitution. You're going to read about it. So it's a stopgap here. This is a firewall for democracy. They're gonna, they've already tried to do the same thing that other states have, repress voting rights. They've done all, all the stuff. It's coming here. And it's really important in Montana. If for no other reason, you know, People love Montana. It is the West. It's the thing that TV shows are made about. It's where you want a vacation. And it's important that we hold the line on democracy here. If you're listening to this podcast right now, what should people be doing if they want to support you? Well, I I need help. And I know everybody gets tired of hearing about money. And I wish money wasn't in politics, but money is in politics. This guy is worth a billion dollars. He flies his jet around. Last election, he bought the seat. He spent about $5 million of his own money to buy the seat. He has no limits on his contributions. Montana has a very low contribution limit. It's $1,000 per person. We're going to have to buy back the state. It's going to be hundreds or $1,000 at a time. Believe me, we are going to do it. We're going to shock the system. We're going to beat an incumbent Republican governor, and that's going to be a huge, huge deal. But I need help. And my website's bussyformontana.com, B-U-S-S-E for Montana.com. But I need help. You know, I need a few dollars. I know this is like a little bit in the weeds, but your media market is actually cheaper than like a D.C. media market or a New York media market. So it ultimately will actually go far. Yeah. So the, the money will go far. And also 
because we are this kind of small state, people joke like it's just a bunch of little towns with one big, long main street. That's kind of true in Montana. You go from town to town and everybody knows somebody in the next town or several towns over. And so a lot of my expense and time is going to be on the road meeting people. And, and I am, I'm going to go to where they are. So yeah, we're going to need media help, but it's not like you're, as you point out, it's not like you're buying ads in LA, thank God. We can really efficiently use the money and we can use the money for staff and me traveling around and sitting down in coffee shops and hopefully quite a few micro brews. I like to do that or <laughs> micro beer joints because we have a lot of them here in Montana. But th those are the sorts of things we're going to do. And that's why we're in the race early because we're going to have to break it down and inspire people. Ryan, thank you so much. I hope you will come back before your general. Oh, I'll be on anytime you want. Thank you, guys. And um, I'll do everything I can to keep Jesse obsessed. Jason Rezian is a writer for the Washington Post's Global Opinion section. Welcome to Fast Politics Special Texas Tribune Festival Edition, Jason. Wonderful to be here, Molly. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. And we just met this morning. We ran into each other at breakfast when I was regaling poor Margaret Sullivan with all of my many moral and ethical journalistic dilemmas. Actually, not really. But so I wanted to talk to you. You have been a foreign correspondent. Tell us a little bit about your backstory. So I moved to Iran, of all places, in 2009. My father was from Iran. My mom is from the Midwest. I grew up in Northern California. It's fascinated by travel and journalism from a very young age. And when I finally had the opportunity to travel to Iran in my 20s, fell in love with the place, fell in love with the culture, realized that this is a really incredible place that is backwards politically and really messed up in a lot of ways, but also has a lot to love about it. And that the way it was reported on in, in our media was um, not very insightful, granular. Yeah. I thought to myself, if I can get myself there in the capacity of a, a journalist, there's going to be work for me to do. So fast forward to 2012, the Post hired me to be their bureau chief in Tehran. I did that for a couple of years until my wife and I, she's Iranian, also a journalist, were arrested at gunpoint from our own home, accused of being spies for the U.S., thrown into one of the most notorious prisons in the world, in solitary confinement, subjected to crazy long interrogations over the most ridiculous allegations. Ultimately, I was held for 544 days. My wife was held for about three months, all of them in solitary confinement. And when we were finally released and freed in a negotiated settlement between Iran and the U.S., I came back to the U.S. And press freedom issues and issues around hostage taking globally have been main beats that I've focused on because for better or worse, I know a thing or two about both. <laughs> One of the things you were saying when we were having breakfast was just that you come out of spending 544 days in imprisonment in a notorious Iranian prison, a different person. 100%. First of all, I lost, and you know, we're doing audio here. You can't see me. I, you look good. I feel pretty good, but yeah. you know, I lost about 40 pounds in the first 40 days that I was in, in prison. I kept that off throughout, gained most of it back since. My, my wife and I joke that the only thing that we miss about those days is Jason's prison body. <laughs> And it's not too late. You know, I'm in Texas. Maybe there's a reason to lock me up. But uh, no, but, you know, I joke about these things because it's the only thing that, that I can do to kind of make it all acceptable. You know, yeah. I, I, as I mentioned to you, I feel like I've won the lottery of life experience. That's just one way to say that I've been through some really hard shit. And it leaves a mark and I could sort of wallow in that very easily. Some people do. For me, felt like 
they've taken enough of my time already. Uh, I got to move forward and, and use this thing to propel my life for the good of other people, which makes me feel good. So the short answer to your to your question is, yeah, it really messes you up. But, you know, I'm, I'm doing the best I can with it. When you were freed, can you just walk me through what that experience was like? Yeah. So the day that I was freed, my captors had told me about 10 days earlier that um, I was being freed in a negotiated deal with the U.S. It's very difficult to believe anything that they right. told me because they told me so many different lies throughout the year and a half. They would tell me that I would spend the rest of my life in prison. I... Sometimes they would tell me that you're going to be freed this afternoon and then nobody would show up for days on end. You know, you just redeposited in solitary. They told me I'd be executed. I mean, so, you know, I, I just didn't know what to believe. And when it finally happened, they said that my wife would not be allowed to travel with me. I learned later at the airport on the way out that she had been a part of this negotiated deal from the very beginning. Explain. So she's an Iranian citizen as well. Uh, she had been released from prison on house arrest, but they weren't going to let her leave the country with me. And it turned out that the State Department and the Swiss government, who acts on the U.S.'s behalf, had, you know, from the very beginning of negotiations, 14 months earlier, included her. And the Iranians tried to pull a fast one right at, at the end, you know, presumably to try and keep me shut up when I when right. I got out. And the nuclear deal and all of this stuff was predicated on a whole bunch of things coming together, including this prisoner exchange. Holy moly. And it almost all fell apart in the last hours because uh, the U.S. said, no, Yegi Rezaian, that's my wife, you know, no deal. So she's pretty precious. And then will you just talk me a little bit through getting on the plane? I think it's very difficult for people to put themselves in my shoes. I had chosen to move to this country that is our number one adversary. I had fallen in love with that place. Right. I met my wife there. I had deep friendships and connections and my my whole career was built in this place and sitting on on the runway in Tehran looking out at the city you know it's built on mountains it can be sort of ugly city there's a lot of smog but there's also a beauty to it on the one hand there was a feeling of real relief and joy but also of incredible loss closing a chapter in my life my wife who you know almost didn't come on that plane, only had a couple of hours of notice, right? Saying goodbye to her parents, to her neighborhood where she'd lived her entire life. It was very, very, very difficult. And she's never going to come back. No. You know, and the, the emotions are still, seven and a half years later, very mixed, right? We appreciate everything that was, was done for us. It never should have happened, though. Right. So the five hostages who are just released... Can you just talk about, have you talked to them? And also, do you feel your experience can help? So three of them are people who we know publicly. Two of them ask to, to, to remain anonymous yeah. for the time being. The three whose names were known publicly, I've been communicating with their families for quite a long time. Uh, as you can imagine, we're a small community of people that deal with this. There's several dozen American citizens who are being wrongfully detained in different countries around the world. And that's a pretty small community. Specifically to Iran, it's even smaller. And we were all taken by the same group within Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps, probably the same people, in some cases, the same cells. So I've tried to put the family members in the shoes of somebody who would be on the ground visiting as much as I could. And I, you know, I've reached out to them and, and for me, I've written about all of their cases. Right. I'm not going to be the guy pounding on their door asking for an interview. No. Because, you know, 
people were pounding on mine and I didn't really appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I've just sort of said, I'll be here for you however I can be. You know, these are some of the things that, that I dealt with in those first days and months. Here are some things that, that helped me. The truth is they have a really long road to, to recovery and they're going to need folks like me who've been through something similar to sort of be their, um, their friends. And the same goes for Evan Gershkovich, uh, Wall Street Journal's reporter and imprisoned in Russia right now. I try and make myself available to any family who's going through this, not just Americans, you know, right. you know, there's Brits and Canadians, Australians, other Europeans. If there's something that can be learned from from our uh, horrific experience, I want to pass that along. Can you just talk for one second about the VA? And the hospital, the army hospital that and how it served yeah. you. So I ended up, I wasn't at the VA. I was in a military hospital in Germany, Landstuhl. Okay, yeah. For me, that experience was very meaningful. You know, it was the first opportunity to talk to somebody who was not connected to the situation, but had knowledge of this kind of trauma. I remember when I asked the doctor, uh, who I still communicate with, I said, Doc, am I going to be okay? Right. And, and he told me, he said, you know, healing is possible, but it's not guaranteed. He's very honest. Right. Yeah. And I said, you know, how do you treat these cases? He said, you know, if you've seen one case, you've seen one case. Right. You know, each one of them is different. And, you know, he might have been blowing smoke, but he said, you know, feels like you have the sort of mental makeup to to get past this. I encourage you to take time to go slow to really process the experience before you go out and talk about it publicly, which is really sound advice. On the sort of practical, sort of bureaucratic level, you know, there were parts of it which I didn't appreciate, right? I mean, you know, these folks work for the FBI, you know, nobody kind of came out and told me that I was talking to FBI <laughs> until, I, until I found that out separately and then I confronted them and we yeah. dealt with it at the point. But it's just like, hey, you know what? I have just spent the last year and a half being lied to relentlessly, being kept in the dark about so many aspects of my life being threatened. What I need from people right now is radical transparency. And I've sort of taken that into my life with my employment situations, with, you know, relationships. I just tell people, hey, look, you know, whatever this thing is that we're dealing with right now, let's just kind of cut to the chase and figure out what it is that you want from me and what I want from you, because otherwise you're putting me back in prison. Everybody feels really bad when I say that. <laughs> it's a negotiation tactic, Jesse. <laughs> But it's also like the thing that seems, and again, I haven't known you for three hours or something, but the thing that seems so striking about you is that you using this, I say this as someone who's been sober from addiction since I was a teenager, for my life, like the best thing I can ever do is share my experience. This is the way I feel about it. And, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, okay, you know, Jason talking about prison again. I'm like, well, you know, what the fuck else am I going to tell you about? Right. Right. I'm certainly not going to tell you how to keep the weight off. Right. right? <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, this is something that I know intimately that is going to be valuable for a select number of people who are going to need that help. Yeah. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, a week into it, 
this is really sort of funny to say, but people were reaching out to me saying, Jason, you, you know, you, you were in captivity. How am I going to deal with isolating at home? I'm like, well, you still got your internet. You still got Netflix, DoorDash. I mean, all of it still works. You're going to be okay. Nobody's trying to kill you. But yeah. I had like, I, you know, I had a series of these and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to sit down and write a column about this, about the things that help. One of the, one of the most trafficked pieces I've ever written, right? Yeah. Because everybody has trauma. You know, there's gradations of it, but like we don't get to decide, you know, whose yeah. trauma is more than than, yeah. than somebody else's. So if there's something that anyone listening can glean from my experience, that makes me really happy. It makes me feel like, OK, my time on Earth uh, wasn't wasn't wasted. And that helps me sleep a little bit better at night. Yeah. And we we could all use a little bit more sleep. Yeah. No, I mean, I really relate to that as like, I can tell you how to get sober and stay sober at 19. I yeah. can't tell you how to survive an Iranian prison, but it is when you're able to share your experience, it ends up giving your life purpose, I think. I think so. I try not to be a one trick pony. I like to write about things that I enjoy sometimes yeah. rather than, than all of this sort of stuff. And fortunately... I have wise editors that allow me to explore different ideas and issues. But I keep coming back to this because it's an opportunity to put issues that, that most Americans don't think about very much on the forefront. I find that if, you know, people can, can be drawn into a story and laugh about it a little bit, they'll remember it. Yeah. So the next time they hear about a journalist who's locked up in the, the other side of the world, they might give a shit, yeah. you know, and, yeah. you know, it's just sort of this continuity of narrative and, and process that, that I've tried to bring to it for a long time. Thank you so much, Jason. This was amazing. Thanks for having me. I really enjoy it. And now your moment of fuckery. Jesse Cannon. Molly Jung Fast, that Matt Gates has really been sticking his thumb in Kevin McCarthy's eye. Tell me what you saw when he was talking to the muddy honey Maria Bartiromo this morning. This morning on Maria Bartiromo's Fox Business Show, we saw Matt Gates basically say that Kevin McCarthy hasn't done anything. And then Republicans in Congress are out of control and terrible. And then Maria was arguing that, in fact, they had done all these things, which, again, they really hadn't done anything, but she, they had sort of passed some messaging bills or whatever. And and uh, Matt was like, no, they haven't. And just to see a right wing uh, opinion host who, you know, we've seen that she, you know, these are people who have some relationship with the Republicans in Congress uh, and a Republican congressman fighting about the Republican GOP, House GOP, was really quite a moment of fuckery. And so for that, the money, honey, and uh, our favorite Botoxed congressman, it's too much, Matt. It's just too much. And and I say this as a frequent flyer, you don't want to have it look completely frozen. Uh, they are our moment of fuckery. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. 
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home, too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals to Hyatt, Zalara, Riviera Maya in Mexico and enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started.